and we are back on backseat carpool banter i'm your host jonathan silver and in today's episode i am joined by my co-host sam kruchikov and as always a very special guest john g thomas vice president of basketball development for the minnesota timberwolves and minnesota lynx is a featured guest in this episode we will be covering facets of your career and as a player and as an executive after that. So make sure to stick around to listen to our great stories and greater conversations. You do not want to miss this. Welcome to Backseat Carpool Banter. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's our pleasure. So you started your professional basketball career as a player in the NBA. Um, can you talk about some of the meaningful experiences that you've been able to keep with you from your time as a player? Oh, well, if you go to if you go to NBA uh, versus overseas, let's start with uh, NBA. I think meaningful experience. I mean, you know, being drafted in the first round is definitely a, a meaningful experience because the the butterflies that were uh, specific to the time when I sat in the arena, I was sitting next to my former teammate, Bobby Jackson at the time. And I didn't know if I was going to go first round or get drafted at all. So I just wanted to experience it. Uh, finally, when Bobby's name got called at 23, um, you know, obviously congratulated him as he went up, uh, took his, his hat, um, and then got called to the stage. And then as 24th pick was coming in, uh, I started to see um, Chris Chin and Brian Davis, um, the old North Carolina Tar Heel, uh, started to fold the hat and, and I'm looking around like me. And so I was like, yeah, you. <laughs> so that's when I was picked 25th back in the 1997 NBA draft, got a chance to go up and, and shake David Stern's hand. So there's not many people that obviously, you know, had a chance to do that and, and obviously rest mm -hmm. in peace uh, to, to really a pioneer and, and a change maker with the league. But uh, that really started, I think, just a whole slew of, I mean, I played on five teams in, in seven years. Uh, you know, when you think about just the the challenge of being traded twice within your first year to then, you know, having a, a good run with the Toronto Raptors for two and a half to then playing in my hometown team with Minnesota Timberwolves for a year, a lot of memorable experiences, some really good teammates, some really good competition, every, you know, getting a chance to play against the old school vets. Mm -hmm. 97, my rookie year, starting and playing against Michael Jordan mm -hmm. versus, uh, you know, seeing Kobe and LeBron come in. Uh, so I had a, had a pretty unique perspective. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. You also played in the Toronto Raptors with Vince Carter and, and T-Mac, I believe. You got uh, it, you, yeah. Do you have any interesting stories when it regards to that team in specific? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of them. Uh, obviously, when you spend two and a half years there, uh, you know, I, so I was uh, – you know, started with the, the Sky Dome before the Air Canada Center was built. So sort of the, the, the beginning and the evolution of, of basketball in Toronto for what you see it now. And uh, gosh, those, those Sky Dome days were, were, were tough and difficult. We had uh, uh, Marcus Camby, I, I remember that team. And when AI dunked on his neck, he <laughs> I remember him coming in the locker room and, and kind of tearing it up. So he, he was upset about that. And then the following years when we had moved into the new the new stadium, um, 
But, you know, very dynamic team. You know, obviously Vince Carter and what he did for the city of Toronto and how they embraced who he was with, uh, uh, you know, Vinsanity and all that came along with it. You know, being in the locker room and in the practice court with him as he was thinking about the dunks that he was going to do in the dunk contest. Uh, a very special team with uh, not only Vince and, and Tracy, but, you know, old school vet Charles Oakley, Kevin Willis, mm-hmm. uh, my main man, Reggie Slater, who's also a former Timberwolf, uh, Sean Marks, who was there for a little bit now, the, the you know current general manager for uh, the Nets, um, Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry, getting a chance to see Steph and Seth mm-hmm. grow up as kids in their backyard. Oh. Gosh, I mean, just a lot of a lot of great memories in the city as a whole. Just uh, you know, fully embraced and loved everything that was was basketball, and and obviously you see it, it still carries that same passion and fire today. So a lot of great memories. Wow, that, I mean, that's in itself a really special environment to be in when when a team is really kickstarting, you know, you know, basketball in Canada. They're really entering the NBA mold at the time, and and you're in the era where it really took off and to to be so close with these guys to to watch Steph Steph and Seth grow up in their backyards like you said it, it really must feel something it, it a special it make it must make you feel a special kind of way when you look at what you've been able to experience what you've been able to accomplish in your career so as as a basketball player what's kind of the most you know thing that you've kept from learning and playing in the NBA and overseas, as you said before, to what has, you know, eventually led to become a career in being an executive in the NBA? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think for, for listeners who are, are playing any sort of sport, particularly when you think about the professional ranks, mm-hmm. just the opportunity to take the light of attention that is on you for what you do on the court or off the field and being able to properly divert it to amplify other areas that at some point when you transition, you know, the ability to capture that moment or those moments, which there's so many other pieces that sort of come along with becoming and being a professional athlete that uh, oftentimes you think that only your job is to, to perform. Well, you know, it's NBA entertainment for a reason, you know, part of it is, you know, do you understand how to properly engage your audience in a way that when they have the binary decision of putting dollars towards watching you play, the question is, why would I watch you play Mm -hmm. and would I pay to watch you play. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important piece that I never understood because as a player you kind of you sort of just go into your own mind and I had you know, moments where I didn't play versus moments where I started. So just the evolution of what that means for a player and recognizing that, look, young man, it never is or was about you. You know, how do you sort of, you know, build a connective tissue between basketball operations, business operations, which mm-hmm. its job is really to take uh, all the things that are wonderful and happening on the court and use it as a way to connect to its for-profit and non-profit sectors in the community. And, you know, for you to be able to be a part of telling that story because you're one of 15 people on a roster, mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're number one versus number 15. That's the piece that I think is most important that I just didn't get, you know, even in Toronto and certainly in Minnesota, having played high school ball in Minnesota, college ball, 
I've, I've built an established brand equity within the market. So to be able to really capitalize, you know, for the sake of honoring those who want to watch you play, mm-hmm. um, you got to fully embrace it and not be scared. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, I know, but that's probably the biggest uh, lesson that I would, would probably take away from it. And, and certainly as an executive, I think about the way in which I impact and, you know, sort of play the connective role now. Uh, it, it's what I continue to try to champion. Yeah, exactly. And your position is actually very unique in that you have spent time as a player in the NBA. Now you are in an executive role. So you've really seen both sides of the aisle. That's something that's even more rare than just a player or just an executive. For sure. Uh, you get this full uh, holistic look at the, the sport, at the league in general. Um, there is a debate going on in uh, the NBA community at large. Uh, players like Draymond Green and Dwayne Wade have been very vocal about their opinions about this debate. Um, that there's a, an alleged double standard for players uh, with uh, their contracts or their um, uh, spot on a roster. And you even mentioned yourself, you were traded twice in your first season. Um, so what's your perspective on that? For example, like Andre Drummond is being forced to sit out of games mm-hmm. until they find uh, a suitable outcome in either direction, either trade, uh, buyout, something like that. So um, can you talk about your perspective on that and how spending time on both ends kind of shaped your your view on this? For sure. Great question. I think, you know, certainly in, in watching the, those comments, it, it definitely struck a chord with me. You know, one thing you should know about me to, to sort of, you know, provide some previous context is that I, pl- I started playing basketball when I was 15 years old and really, you know, put a lot of my myopic focus and the proverbial eggs in the basket into really just uh, really with my, with the divorce of my mother and father and my, my father playing professional basketball overseas when I was younger, I think as a way of sort of connecting to him, coupled with the fact that my mom took the television away and we're just like, you're not going to watch TV. Uh, after my brother uh, and I, you know, cut, you know, my mom cut the cord of the television literally, and then we spliced it two times. And then she was like, you know what, you're too smart for your own good. So she, she got the TV out of the house. And then, like I said, my, my, my dad was, wasn't around. And so I, I, I clung to those stories of, commitment and passion that he had and that's really what started my basketball career so I think my point sort of kind of going back to 15 years old is that the amount of time that I spent with um, building relationships at the high school level that was two years right so basically as a sophomore until senior I, I knew the same coach I had the same players that came in it was us rocking together then when I joined University of Minnesota, it was a, a great run that we had from being the, the awkward freshman who, whose lips would get blue because he was nervous of 15,000 people in front of a stadium to by the time, you know, being a senior that now figured out that he had a chance to potentially get drafted into the NBA. And, and there was this journey that, you know, culminated into that final four run that we had. But that was four years that I spent. So again, mm-hmm. um, that loyalty, Right. So getting into my first year in the NBA, thinking that, you know, I got drafted by the Knicks. What a perfect situation. Mm-hmm. Patrick Ewing as kind of your your leader, your mentor was like, come on, Rook, you with me. Larry Johnson putting up the L like, come on, young fella. Right. I mean, <laughs> Charles Oakley, you know, uh, Buck, Buck Williams. I mean, what better mentors and teachers that you have? And Jeff Van Gunny, who was as honest as honest could be. Man, I felt like I had just the best opportunity and, and you know, coming from Minnesota, going to New York. I'm like, wow, what an adjustment. Mm-hmm. I traded instantly towards, you know, the backside of, of preseason um, and then got traded again, you know, before the, the trading deadline. So 
it was hard. And that's the thing that, you know, you got 72 hours to get all your stuff and go. And, and so the lack wow. of humanization that, that comes along with it, or at least us being able to address it um, properly. And that's why you're seeing a lot of, uh, when players are told, you know, told that, you know, there's a potential for you to be moved, just, just think, you know, in your respective lives, if someone basically said that, you know, hey, you know, you just, we're still going to pay you, go ahead, be on pause, but there's an opportunity that you might have to move somewhere that you've never been before to restart and create relationships. And I think the narrative of, well, you know, they get paid a lot of money, so that shouldn't matter. Like money's not the driver for everything. It's, mm -hmm. you know, do we care about each other? Do we foster that love and that care? So I just think from that perspective, it, it certainly has struck a core with me. I, I think it's important to have those kinds of conversations on, is there a double standard and how do we at least address when players come out and say what they, you know, as an example, Hey, I want to be traded, you know, mm -hmm. is there a proper way to do that? And then from an organizational perspective, um, you know, how do we have those honest conversations around players to say, listen, you know, you know that part of this business means that if we're trying to upgrade our roster, it means that you need to move. So how it's one of the things I really appreciated about, you know, Greg Popovich when I had a summer workout, you know, he pulled me aside and said, listen, you know, thanks for coming for the workout. We're not exactly sure whether or not you're a fit uh, for our franchise, but we brought you in. Uh, have a great workout. If for whatever reason we feel like we need to advance conversations, we'll be in touch with your agent. If not, just want to say best of luck. And you can't fault you know, for that honesty and that transparency. So, you know, I think as players, we just want consistency across the board. Uh, certainly from an organizational perspective, you, you, we want the same thing, right? But let's be consistent. But that, that's my two take, my two cents on that take. Yeah, so you, you were talking about a little bit about if a player wanted to leave a team, which is the double standard that's being addressed here, is that if a player wants to leave a team, he's sometimes considered a cancer to the team. He doesn't want to play for the team that he's currently on and is his mind is elsewhere. But if it's right. the other way around that a team wants to move on from you, it's generally accepted that that's an okay thing. So like we, we've seen Anthony Davis and James Harden both de like demand trades in, in their respective teams. And now we see this sort of idea flourishing around the NBA right now with players like Dwayne Wade and Draymond Green discussing them publicly that it's not okay. So my, my question to you is what have you seen in particular with these examples that just screams that there needs to be something that's different about this yeah i think you know first and foremost we have to recognize that fans have an affinity and an association with individual players right that happen to be a part of the larger brand or the team when, when you think about those that are making decisions on whether or not that player plays certainly the first person that comes to mind is the coach. Uh, and so the question is, you know, how often do you see the coach? I mean, the coach happens to be a backdrop against the players, which when somebody scores, they're not panning to the coach, right? They're panning mm -hmm. to the player that scored. So there's this, there's this, um, there's this relationship that ultimately builds with that player. And so when the player comes out and says, Hey, you know, I actually want to be moved. They don't understand why, right? It, it, at the end of the day, the fan who's completely removed from it, you know, like him or not, they're going to voice their opinion. And so that's what I've seen this has happened. So I think us just being cognizant of the fact that it's the individual player versus the relationship of the organization, it's always going to be on the player. And then in terms of, you know, whether it's the organization or the player, 
I think we just have to you know, take, take it a step deeper and just understand and recognize what's the proper approach and what is the protocol that, that should be set in place to standardize if a player decides that, that he um, you know, wants to be moved out, you know, what should that look like? Because there's the, uh, let's call it the visceral slash demonstrative way versus the quote unquote professional way. But at the end of the day, if we don't know if, if a player's you know, tried that that professional style and has done it in, in in a capacity that maybe was done behind closed doors. So we don't know mm -hmm. that. So what is the, you know, the, the, the average, the standard, what, what should we expect? And I think until, until that's addressed, right. When it comes to any sort of policies or procedures around player versus organization and how they can, you know, properly articulate what that means to, you know, the public um, that's where I think we need to start. Right. And, I mean, that, that is certainly a great start, but from your perspective now on the executive side of things, um, you deal a lot with the business aspects of running a team. Uh, do, do these things that happen on the court or even kind of in the media off the court impact the bottom line as well? Are there more eyeballs on the team? Are there less eyeballs on the team? What's going on with that? Yeah, it, it, it does. I mean, at its core, it's a business. Mm -hmm. And when you think about, you know, those that are technically on the business side because of the moving parts, everything okay. from ticket sales to corporate partnerships to community, you know, social responsibility, um, you know, it's marketing arm, it's PR arm, business intelligence. I mean, there are multiple people that have, a, you know, a significant stake in what happens and are invested in, you know, the team as much as uh, the basketball side is. Mm -hmm. The basketball side is closest to the players, so they have and create the most influence around them. Uh, and oftentimes when you think about, you know, the, you know, one side of the house versus the other, uh, I, I think it, it's just recognizing how you play sort of a cohesive unit to sort of build towards, to your point, the bottom line. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it, you know, and at the end of the day, it, it starts with players, right? It stops with players. And then when you think about the way in which the culture is created through management and, and the organization as a whole, uh, it, it's just about you know, determining what your value proposition is and why do we go after a player to draft um, versus when we trade for a player versus, you know, why would a, a free agent want to come and be a part of, of, of any part of our team? And so mm -hmm. um, every single move does affect the bottom line, wh whether it moves it up or whether it moves it down. Uh, you know, the, the true winners and losers, I'd say, are those that are the investors, which are our season ticket holders and our corporate partners and, and our community members, those who are the, the, the rabid and even to some degree casual fans that, that move into it. So there's this full ecosystem that sort of needs to be taken into effect uh, or into account, I should say, around, you know, decisions made and, and how that ultimately plays to um kind of the competitive landscape of team to team, market to market, and how that all, you know, ultimately lends itself towards, you know, who's at the bottom end of the scale versus who, who ends up being the champion. Right. So how, how do you specifically work with the basketball and, and more importantly, and, and more so the thing that you focus on the business aspect of the communities, to, you know, to encourage players to leave a meaningful impact on and off the court? What specifically do you do? as the vice president of basketball development? So I've got two, I've got two core focus areas. Uh, it's youth basketball and looking at what is happening within the youth basketball landscape in our market. Um, you know, certainly basketball as a whole, whether done at a macro or a micro level, um, 
I believe is a microcosm of society. So the same things that are happening within the youth basketball space are the same thing that are happening in society. So there are systemic inequities that when you think about the, you know, those who are resourced versus mm -hmm. the under-resourced and what that means for um, kids who have the ability to have access to multi-court facilities, uh, you know, some of the top level training um, and then being able to, at, at a moment's notice, go to a game that I get a chance to sit in the suite mm -hmm. versus those that, you know, are struggling to put uh, shoes on their feet to I can't afford the right type of uniform. Uh, I don't have the access to all the video games and the Wi-Fi like everyone else does. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry and I'm gonna grind. And I also come from a place potentially of, of trauma. You know, I talked about the fact that my parents divorced and what that meant for me. I mean, I didn't even mm -hmm. dive into aspects of how that affected me in the classroom, which then led to right. you know, creating distractions in my home, which ultimately got me my eye off the ball um, you know, and, and subsequently created this, um, you know, this, this snowball that, you know, by the time I was finished with my 15 year career, you know, I became the statistic. So I was the exception to the rule, but then I became the, the, the rule, which I lost all my money. Uh, you know, I, uh, didn't recognize, you know, business concepts and what that meant for me as a, as a player, as a person, as a black man, as a former athlete, there's a lot of things that, you know, when you think about what sort of happens on the top and it all starts at the baseline. So I think specifically youth basketball, you know, as an organization, how are we shifting a narrative, right? So that's the first, that's the first part. And how are we building against the inequities that are within that space? The other part that, that I address is, is our alumni program, right? So, you know, looking at the course of the 31 years that we've had our existence within this franchise, um, what are our players feeling what are they saying? How do we get them re-engaged? Uh, how do we, against the backdrop of having 17 Fortune 500 companies in our backyard, how do I get them involved with first our corporate partners, but then even in recognizing that each one of them has their own path that they want to lead. And so how do we sort of start to build this, this network of influence? Um, and then uh, you know, recognizing that their relationship with the organization in, in past, I'll tell you from previous experience and being a former Timberwolf was that you know, I didn't know the depths of our organization and, you know, having business operations and mm -hmm. basketball operations and recognizing even departmentally how those relationships were important to sort of, you know, create the fostering. So those are the two primary areas that, that I'm involved with. And then as a, as a teammate that I am, you know, when called upon, whatever I can do to assist uh, the amplification with any one of our areas, uh, mm -hmm. I, I want our organization to do well. We've got tremendous leaders. Uh, we're, we're all at the end of the day, you know, vying and trying for success. And, and so, you know, whatever part that I can play that lends itself to that, those areas. Um, and then, you know, whether it's speaking to current players around the initiatives that they should be involved with to, mm -hmm. you know, assisting corporate partner pitches to, you know, determining where, where some of our key relationships are just across the organization, whatever I can do to amplify, uh, I do. Yeah, and I, you mentioned just specifically there at the end how um, you talk with players about being involved in meaningful things. Uh, you mean off the court specifically, right, with community relations and, and things like that. So what do you think maybe is the most meaningful program that you've been a part of um, or encouraged uh, the, the current players or even former players from the team to be, become a part of and really active within? Yeah, well, our... our... Uh, all, all kudos goes out to, uh, you know, Jen Ridgeway, who's our uh, executive vice president of social responsibility and, and her team. 
they, in a lot of ways, serve as sort of that conduit into our players. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't say that it was a full team lift with uh, uh, our, our, our our PR team, who is who's closely connected with them, uh, our, our marketing team, who who helps to, to you know quote unquote make them them look pretty. Uh, but then there's there's lots of aspects of our business that I think are instrumental in driving it, but specific to community, um, you know, one, raising awareness around some of the issues that have happened in our own community, right? I mean, personally, for me, you know, I grew up five blocks away from where George Floyd was killed, but I think, oh, wow. you know, there's a there's a this personal portion of, of what this, and you know, what our organization continues to do to to raise awareness around, the, you know, just systemic inequities that we have across the board. Uh, a recent addition to our team was True Pettigrew, who's on uh, with, with player programs and, and does diversity inclusion for for our team as well. So mm-hmm. uh, he's done a wonderful job of creating community conversations, you know, first within our team, but then bringing key leaders across our organization. Uh, but then when you look externally, you know, the ability to impact uh, whether we go out and, uh, you know, participate in communities to to increase voting. That was super powerful for me personally, mm-hmm. uh, but our entire team, you know, Wolves, Lynx showed up um, you know, to really, you know, pound the drum on what it means first to have some education around voting, uh, but also the sort of the, the part that they play. Uh, you know, there's the traditional hospital visits that I think are impactful and important for those that are struggling with their health. Um, there are um, just aspects of giving to kids who are less fortunate so I think, you know, from an organizational perspective, you, there's so much that you can do. And I think our biggest challenge is how do we create the deepest impact? So, um, mm-hmm. and again, I'd, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't mention what our links uh, have done, you know, to, to continually be a champion in this space. And, uh, you know, Carly Knox and, and Cheryl Reeve, who have been really driving and creating the right narrative around, you know, fighting for equality is, uh, is, is a challenge that I think, you know, they've, they've done it with grace, with passion. Uh, so there's, like I said, I mean, I can just go down and down the line, but there's, there's a lot that we, you know, strive to do inside of our communities. Even a player like Maya Moore, who, who used to play for the Lynx, stepped away from the team to go uh, make reform outside of the, the basketball community. Um, as you were saying earlier, every single decision in, in the basketball aspect of things goes down and affects the business, the business side of things. It's, it's Mm -hmm. the microcosm of every decision affects every other decision. So it's the same way with, with what we're talking about now. You, you, one small thing that you do in your community can lead to greater change and, and what you're doing and what your team is doing is extremely important to several communities and, and young kids who, who enjoy watching and and playing the sport of basketball or who are going through completely different things uh, unimaginable things or you know things that every human goes through so i i really respect what you're doing and and the position that you take in in this organization and what you've been able to accomplish and it, it really says a lot about you as a person and it says a lot about the team as a whole about what their their mindset is what their goals are and yes, at the end of the day, it's about business, but as well as what can you do to make an impact on the community? Yeah, Jonathan, I appreciate it. And, I, and, and at the end of the day, um, I think I mentioned this, it, it, it's never, it was never about me. And, you know, I'm really a vessel and 
a, a conduit for all the wonderful people whose shoulders I stood on mm-hmm. and whose hands I continue to hold, you know, throughout this process. Because, uh, you know, when, when Bruce Lee talks about the finger versus the fist, um, it mm-hmm. takes those five fingers that are furled into that ball uh, to make that fist to create the type of impact that's necessary. So, um, you know, from our perspective, it's, it's how do we, as a collective unit, you know, both in our organization and outside of our organization recognize that first, uh, you know, when you think about the aspects of business and what that means for our team, you know, how are we providing the called the the fertile soil for our players to first develop as basketball players on the court. Uh, But most importantly, as they move through their first few years and recognize that the money and the fame and the attention that they receive pales in comparison to the legacy that they can leave. Um, you know, how do we connect them then to our for-profit and nonprofit communities? Certainly to, to think about ways of creating the transaction uh, that lead to the wallet. Uh, and as a, as a good uh, mentor, his name is Dr. Bill Sutton, who leads Impact Group. He said in this order, um, uh, heart, mind, wallet, right? So when you think about, you know, how you then address uh, the mind and most importantly, how do we how do we hit our hearts? And so I think that same approach comes down to how we treat players, you know, how we treat our organization, how we treat, you know, the people that are inside who might not see the, the perspective that you share to ultimately, you know, rally against and determine how to meet you where you're at and and cohesively build together. So uh, it's a it's a fun journey. It can be arduous at times, uh, challenging to, to say the least, but uh, I think what's on the back side of it is is that infinite game that we continue to strive towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and basketball is a very unique uh, vessel for this because it's something that's so outside of uh, the the problems that people deal with in uh, quote the real world. But also, we can experience things through basketball. There, it, there's a lot of life lessons that can be taught through Ooh. the sport, yeah. uh, but also a lot that can be applied back into. Uh, everyone's daily lives and especially when you said you work with youth sports um, like you said it could be an escape for some people or it could be something that they invest a lot of their energy into to get away from uh, a lot of the negativity that they might be dealing with Um, it it, and especially when you get a professional team uh, that comes in they serve as role models uh, like players for example who overcame adversity to get to the point where they're at it's this great um, like network uh, where players can work with people within the community to lift them up. And that doesn't necessarily mean that. Take the things that they learned through the sport in wherever, whatever field they decide to go into. Sam, you, you couldn't be more right. Uh, I find myself drawing comparisons to how I was able to succeed at the highest level um, and figuring out how that then translates into, you know, my, my daily life as an executive. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that basketball is, and, and for that matter, sport, um, it's binary truth. It's either you do or you don't, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's in front of all of us. And you can't dispute whether or not somebody made the shot or not, right? right? I mean, the subjective piece of somebody stepping on the line with the ball, certainly the referee's job is to call that. But at that level... They, they, they do more than a decent job of, of mm-hmm. being able to uh, discern whether or not that happens. But uh, the sacrifice, the preparation, uh, the successes, the failures, the, uh, the myopic focus, 
you know, again, lends itself to just that, like I said, that duality of uh, yes or no. And so how does that then translate into business decisions? Well, at the end of the day, if you have a product or service, will people buy it? Yes or no. And if no, then why? And, and work backwards from there. And if yes, then why? And how do we provide more? And so mm -hmm. that is that transactional element of, of what it is. But we all know that, and certainly when I think about my role as a captain, uh, you know, on the, on the final 14 that we have as a Gophers, it's like, you know, I have to serve as an example of what it means to, to be that leader, showing up before everybody else, leaving after everyone else, uh, but most importantly, picking my teammates up. Right. And, and making sure that they're a part of our journey. And so it's super important when it comes to how kids see it. Right. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll point to this because it was a recent event um, I, when I when I saw the kid who was, you know, going back and forth with Cam Newton, uh, you know, I, I, I immediately thought of of like how unfortunate. Right. How unfortunate is it um, for. Sorry about that. Uh, I think about how unfortunate was it to have um, a kid who potentially had the opportunity to tell him as a young black boy that he has a, a young black man, um, how could I get potentially, you're at his camp. How could I get potentially to where you're at? And you know, the way I fashion in any sort of interaction that I have with any kids, regardless of color, is at the end of the day, we're all people. And uh, I want you to look me in my eye. I want you to shake my hand uh, and do it with confidence. And then it, it, particularly if you play my sport, don't just ask for my picture. Don't just ask for my autograph. Like take something from me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Take knowledge, right? Don't ask for pictures, ask for knowledge. And so when I, when I look at that incident and certainly Cam played his part, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, which is, you know, hey, I'm rich. You know, how do you dive deeper into a scenario like that where it's an embarrassing moment that's caught on camera and really start to unpack the real thing that needs to be unearthed, which is, you know, you have an opportunity to create an impact on a kid and make a fan for life. And and he doesn't even know the struggles that you went to to becoming, an, uh, you know, MVP candidate and the things that you did, you know, to get there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a kid and, and certainly kids, we, as kids, we don't know any better. And I know that from having my own, right, as, as I'm raising my own. <laughs> You know, how do they provide the right type of questions to steal one thing, two things maybe that they could add to exactly. their foundation to ultimately build against and say, look, um, you know, truth be told, the moment you're born with color on your skin, it's just been proven that you're at a disadvantage in this country. It's just what it is. So how do we help to uplift, uplift each other and then serve as an example? So I just think that, you know, going back to your point around just youth basketball, um, we always have to be cognizant that everyone is watching and the things that we do and the things that we say uh, should really lend themselves to, to creating impact for the entire community. Exactly. I mean, you, you, you basically hit it right on the nail because I was, I was going to talk a little bit more about what it means to the individual to have basketball being a place of serenity outside of the world, to being able to pick up a ball and playing on the court and ignoring everything else that is what, in my opinion, one of the most important aspects of the game as an individual. That's what got me into watching NBA games to, to you know, co covering and speaking to certain individuals who, who hold position in, in the association and in several associations. But what, what I'm trying to get at here is that it's not only about 
the the main cover story that that the NBA or the media tries to push. It's about what what kid is at home right now, just shooting in, in his backyard, just to ignore what's what's going on in in society. It, it's just a safe space for several people. It was a it was a safe mm-hmm. space for me growing up, and that in itself has to be one of the most impactful not only ways the game is played, but a facility for finding who people are as individuals. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, um, you know, when, when, when you first picked up the ball, when I first picked up the ball and you, you marvel at your ability to overcome uh, the challenges of taking that round other ball and then putting it through an iron ring. And, and the more times you practice with your right and the more times you practice with your left, uh, the, the beautiful art that becomes basketball uh, and, and the, the challenge that we create against ourselves, you start to overcome really helps to foster love, right? Of camaraderie, competition, uh, and those are the things that I think is a lot of, you know, being a former player, those are things that I miss. I, I miss the banter, right? You know, mm-hmm. whether it's in the backseat banter, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I miss the ability to just, uh, you know, talk some good mess to to my uh, my constituents, right? Of like, mm-hmm. man, you destroyed me in practice today, but don't worry about it. I got you tomorrow. And, and <laughs> Right? I mean, that's what fosters the, the, the true love and, and keeps you coming back over and over again. But, you know, the higher you go, the more attention you receive. And because of that attention received, a couple of things happen. Uh, first, uh, you start to lose the, the love because at least this isn't, this isn't my, uh, again, I'm not speaking for everybody and certainly Personal from my experience. perspective, mm-hmm. you start to lose the love because um, it becomes more than just about the love. Right. It's about people taking your time. It's about those that have access to you that want to be involved with you. Um, it's not, and you don't understand why. Right. And that's the hardest part, right? Because you know, fractured attention right now um is is everyone's vying for your eyeballs. And if you think about what's winning right now, it's your phone. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the the challenge against sort of being, you know, what was it that put the initial love into that game, which then on the backside of it, I mean, you talked about Draymond's, you know, his comments around Andre Drummond. Uh, there's an innate, and there's an, an innate fear that comes along with not being loved or wanted, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, am I adequate enough? Am I good enough? And and though you know, that's when the the mental health issue has has become more prevalent now because if you think. You know how many different ways are players being asked for their time. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether it's from the NBA league level, it comes from the union, it comes from their agents, it comes from the team specific to basketball operations, comes from business operations. And then you think that you're safe when you go home, mm-hmm. but you're not safe because now your mom wants time, your dad wants time, your your wife, your baby's mom, your boy. And then, oh, again, that old phone that now at a moment's notice, somebody tweets out just because you weren't at your best performance and now you happen to, to suck and they're calling for you to be traded. And we, we desensitize against the humanization uh, of who we are and, and how we forget that 
we think because they have this money and this fame and you know that there's a real human inside of there that hurts and bleeds and you know people say hey i'd love to have those problems and i'm like no you know i i, I would tell you that you know, me playing for seven teams in five years in the NBA and then having seven different experiences across the world certainly opened my eyes to a lot of things. But I'm in a lot of ways, I'm happy that I didn't, you know, get typecast in a way that is the 15 to 20 year old player that, you know, some of these legends mm -hmm. are because, you know, not only can they not forget it, but the public won't let them forget who they are, you know? Yeah. And, and one so thing that we love. Yeah, one thing that we love to do with this podcast, one of the big reasons that we uh, started this is to really humanize these figures that we look up to, that we respect as role models. Because like you said, that they stop being their own person while, while you're in the league. And even like you said, with the guys that have been around for 20 years, even afterwards, you're still the legend of uh, whoever you were uh, while you were a, an athlete or even beyond people that have been go on into coaching and stay in the public light uh, for their whole life. Yeah. Um, so yes, a lot of the things that come along with basketball are fantastic. And I'm sure a lot of people uh, would love those things, but it, it takes a lot out of you as well. Like with podcasting, um, would we love a ton of people to watch us? Sure. But the most important thing for us is to talk sports, uh, to talk smack a little bit when we discuss our opinions, <laughs> um, uh, but also to share people's stories like yours, um, because you have a great story to share. And it's not so much in the uh, the, the big lights of the NBA. It's it's a personal story. And, yeah. and that's it's equally important. And I think that's the part that gets uh, overshadowed a lot. Uh, yeah, Sam, you bring up a great point. I mean, if you if you think about, you know, where where your head would be if you had the number one podcast in the world, mm -hmm. you know, um, you don't understand it because you've never been there. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to have that perspective is not something that you can relate to. So I would say it's the same thing for a fan who, you know, doesn't understand what players are going through. Like you, you think, you know, but unless you've actually carried that water. You never know. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's intrinsically there's things that people want, right? Which is they want validation, right? It's the reason why social media is so popular. They want connection. It's where they think they're receiving that validation through social media. Um, but the realness of humanizing, you know, the the beauty of what sport can bring, but the ugly side of it as well, um, I think is is a, is a great thing that you're doing. So, yeah, Sam, you know, Jonathan, must stay humble. Right, because and it's a hard thing. You got to you got you got to create those checks and balances against against that. And the, the more that you know, you continue to to get your reps at it, you're going to figure out what works, what doesn't, and, and you know, could we have this breakout guest and so on and mm -hmm. so forth. But uh, never lose sight never lose sight of your why. And that was the thing that you know I didn't understand, you know, growing up, and and it didn't take me until I was 45, you know, which I am now. I'm like, man, you know, mm -hmm. what what am I? In the, in the second stage of my life, and I say athletes die twice. Um, you know, who do I want to become, and what's the legacy that I want to leave? Certainly to my kids, but you know, when that void that you know is a temporary one is left by me leaving the earth, what I want people to at least feel, not say, mm -hmm. feel right that they mm -hmm. can then carry that forward. Yeah, and, and it's you're, you're saying stay humble and be thinks when when Sam and I started, we didn't even imagine getting guests such as yourself and, and certain other people that we've gone on the show we just we just started it because we were like 
first of all, we were in the pandemic. We, we weren't really doing much. We were at home <laughs> and we were like, we talk sports on a regular basis. Why not just put it on the internet and see how it goes? And surprisingly, people enjoyed the way we covered it because we don't look at these people that the media like puts on a pedestal and idolizes and, and as you said, defines them as a person through their playing career. But we look at it more of a, not what can you provide for me? What can you share? What can you take from a message as a viewer? Like you were saying earlier, not can you give me an autograph? Can you take a picture? Can you give me something that I can learn from and take with as a personal experience in my life? And that is what we are trying to do when we get guests such as yourself on the show. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate the platform and the opportunity to, to share meaningful, meaningful lessons or, or, or anecdotes that have been shared with me. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's important that we at least have a conversations around what it means to be an athlete. And certainly, you know, from my time of retirement, a lot has changed. Uh, and, you know, the, the evolution of the sport, the evolution of technology, uh, in a lot of ways has changed the game. And even if you think about what's happening, uh, you know, certainly at the G League level, but also with the announcement that overtime is starting a semi-professional high school league, mm-hmm. you know, what are these kids going to do with, with with the with the fame and the money that they already now are going to get amplified uh, through through money, where where they're going to be able to put themselves out of a situation potentially where they're poverty-stricken. But the question is, uh, whether whether you're an entrepreneur or you're an employee. Um, you're still a slave to the dollar unless you understand the, the investment and savings vehicles that allow you to make that money work for you. So, you know, what's being done around that? And it's just an interesting narrative that obviously, you know, I'll be, I'll be curious to see how that all unfolds. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I just want to do my part certainly to, to, to uh, impact positively those that I, uh, I touch on a daily basis. And the more time that I decide to spend uh, with people and getting closer to who they are mm-hmm. that allow me to understand their perspective and at least, you know, provide either resources directly or indirectly through my networks and, and pointing in the right directions towards success, which ultimately they should just turn around and give it back to, to those that, that ultimately that they stood on the shoulders of and held their hands up as well. 100%, 100%. And, you know, I, when we got into podcasting, I was, truly i mean you can ask sam about this too like we were kind of starstruck at first and then when we when we got our first big guest on because we we were just doing it for like us you know and then we we started to get retention and people were actually interested in what we had to do we started getting guests on and we were kind of starstruck our first time and then five minutes into the conversation we're like this is just another person talking to us about like (laughs) the stuff we normally talk about and people people don't know that unless they try it people don't you were saying you don't um i I forgot the exact analogy you used but um people don't know what you do unless you really walk in that person's footsteps and to to get that weight lifted off my shoulders that it's it's just like talking to somebody else It's, it's not something that you should be nervous about it's not something that you should be fearful of it's something that is deserved to be listened to and it's something that without it people wouldn't think the way we do about people who are put on a pedestal yeah 
the, the, the biggest lie that our culture tells us is, is time for money is equal. And it's not, mm -hmm. right? Time for money is never an equal exchange. So if you understand that, that, that you can always go get more money, but you can never get more time. Mm -hmm. what, what I just said 10 seconds ago, I'll never be able to mm -hmm. get back. Mm -hmm. So if that's the most important thing, and then when you recognize that you don't know when your time is up, the question is, what do you choose to do with your time and why? And so that ultimately comes down to, I believe, you know, what, what are the things that you value and how can you define them to create ways of accountability that you hold yourself and others accountable for? But then on the other side of it is, is the reward system that comes along with it. Like, hey, if mm -hmm. I'm leading my values, how can I reward myself? Mm -hmm. um, but once you, once you understand that and you can audit your energy around the different types of interactions or the input that you receive either through mm -hmm. people or through what you're consuming by way of content or food or all the different stuff that is our environment, mm -hmm. it equals that output. So once you recognize that, you're like, okay, then you, you have your values, you've audited, you've audited your energy. Now the big question is like, why am I here? Yeah. Right. And why do I exist? And you know, how can I help others? And that's at least how I see them. So, you know, for the rest of my time on this earth, you know, I'm just here to, to share love and perspective and, and lessons and things that I've learned that it's not to say that I'm perfect in any, in any stretch of the imagination, but uh, my effort is there and I only want to build uh, with others. Yeah. And I really hope that you enjoyed your time on our show. It all starts with a conversation. And that's really what I love about the platform of uh, podcasting, because it's not just this short form. We get to actually sit down, uh, pick your brain a little bit, get to know who you are as a person, but then also what you have to share with the world that maybe people don't get to see on a daily basis. So if you guys enjoyed listening to our conversation, please consider leaving a five-star review if you're on Apple or Spotify and checking us out on social media. All the links will be in the description below of the, the podcast. So thank you guys for tuning in and thank you, uh, Mr. Thomas, for uh, taking the time out of your day to share all those awesome stories and conversation that we had. Sam, Jonathan, nothing but continued success for you uh, and health uh, as you venture and continue to climb within this podcasting space. Keep, keep making that impact and uh, you know, keep help, helping each other strive. Backseat Banner is where it's at. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.